Good morning. Glad you're with us today. There are a lot of great things going on. If you missed last week, uh, we made the announcement that we've been given the opportunity to purchase the Centerstone property next door. And we're excited about that and uh, look forward to even just thinking about how we can use that to further the calls here. Uh, yesterday, our ladies had a great day, uh, had great reports of those who were able to come and be a part of that. Uh, and notice your bulletin insert. Next Sunday uh, is a big day. We're starting our Sunday night gatherings again. Uh, and this insert could be something that you could keep, put on your refrigerator, put in your home office if you just want to keep up with what's going on. If you've come our way in the last year and a half or so, we've not been doing much on Sunday nights with COVID, but we're kind of getting back to what we were doing before. Uh, next Sunday, we'll have signups for small group Bible studies, so be thinking about that. Uh, again, great opportunities coming up. Other than the computer, I cannot think of any invention that has impacted us in recent years more than our mobile phones. How many of you got a phone with you today? Yes. How many of you got it on silent? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we take our phones with us everywhere, don't we? You know, if we don't have it with us, we feel like we're missing something. You ever gone back to the house to get it? Back to the office to get it? Back to wherever it was that you left it last to get it. We're lost without it. Not that long ago. Some of us remember the days before we had a mobile phone. And yet, as much as sometimes they frustrate us, we don't want to go back to those days. You know, sometimes cell phones ring in church, and that's a little distracting. What bothers me more is when people answer it and start talking real loudly. You know? What bothers me even more is when it's my cell phone that rings. Uh, last Sunday night, I was teaching a Bible class, and, and I'd left my phone on and got a phone call right in the middle of Bible class. It was one of our elders. I want to say, stop. But it was my fault. I should have turned it off. But the cell phone is amazing. Do you ever think about this? I mean, you can text people. They get it instantly. You can call somebody on the other side of this planet. I mean, you have to remember phone numbers. They're all in there. Play music. Listen to podcasts trade stocks. I can check my blood sugar levels on my cell phone, everything. But a cell phone has no value unless it's charged, unless it's got the energy it needs. So at the end of every day, if not before, we make sure that we put it on the charger. If we're going on a trip, we make sure we take our charger with us because we want to make sure that our cell phone is fully charged. Because more and more we feel like we cannot live without it. We're beginning a new series of studies today about the Holy Spirit. Now we spent several months talking about God, His names, His titles, and that taught us a lot about Him, reminded us of some eternal truths. And then we studied several months about Jesus and the many names and titles that help us to understand who He is. But who is the Holy Spirit? I want to begin in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Day of Pentecost, when the people that were hearing Peter's message asked, what must I do to be saved? He said, very simply, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, God fills you with His Spirit. He makes that promise to you. Whether you felt like it or not, God 
comes through. That's who he is. We are filled with his spirit, and it can do much more than we can ever do on our own power. Philippians 4.13, you're familiar with this passage as well. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So as we begin this study, I want to ask a question. Put it on your outline if you're following along. If the power of the Holy Spirit was removed from you, would you notice? Would anybody else notice? If the Holy Spirit's power was removed from this church, would we notice? Or would we just go on as if nothing happened? The late A.W. Tozer expressed his concern this way. I put it on the screen. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would stop and everybody would know. Is he right? Is that true? Because when you read through the New Testament, you see in the early church, it was utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit's power, His presence, to be what God called them to be, to do what God wanted them to do, to fulfill the mission, to share the good news. They understood that there was no church without the Holy Spirit. There are no followers of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. But this is a question that all of us must wrestle with, both individually and collectively as a church. If the power of the Holy Spirit was removed from us, would we even notice? Would anybody notice? So I want to spend the next several weeks studying what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Now, to begin with, there are two images Word pictures, metaphors that, that is found in Scripture that describe the Holy Spirit. One is fire. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And one is wind. I'm going to talk about that to begin with this morning. In fact, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Now, if you do a little background, the Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. The Greek word in the New Testament is pneuma. Both of these words have as their root the word wind, or gale of wind, or breath of air. That is the image that Scripture uses to describe the Holy Spirit. For example, John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, Jesus' disciples experienced this personally. You recall when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church, and we're going to study this passage more in the coming weeks. Luke describes it as a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now why wind? Why that description? You can't see wind. You can't grab a hold of it, but you can feel it. You can sense its effects. And the Holy Spirit is similar. You can't see Him. You can't grab a hold of Him, but you can feel Him. You can experience Him. You can see the difference that He's made. Now, <clears throat> this image of the Holy Spirit as a wind makes us uncomfortable because what is it about the wind? You know, the wind cannot be contained. And we like to contain things, even God. The wind cannot be controlled. 
And some of us have control issues. The wind cannot be caught or boxed up. It blows wherever it pleases. And so to think of the, the Holy Spirit being the wind, that makes us uncomfortable. But to use Jesus' words with the wind, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You cannot grab it, but you can feel it. You cannot see the wind, but you can sense it. You can see the effects. Is that not what we want to be true for all of us? That the Holy Spirit is making a difference in our lives. The world may not understand the Holy Spirit, but they can see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in our lives, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our marriages, in our personalities, in our temperament, in our priorities. In the, in the way that we make daily decisions, in the way that we live our lives with a mission, with a purpose. And it's not dictated by our occupation or our marital status, it's, it's who we are. It's God's Holy Spirit living in us. They can see the effect of the wind. So again, the question, if the power of the Holy Spirit was removed from you, would you notice? Would anybody notice? Now, I know there's a lot of controversy and confusion about the Holy Spirit, which I think is so interesting because that was never God's intention. In fact, the word that's used to describe him is a helper, a counselor, not someone to bring confusion. Hopefully, we can allow the Bible to clear up any misconceptions that we may have. So just to begin with, Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to the wind, but don't stop there. Let's keep going. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as a person. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as a person. Now, I think that may be where some people miss it. Maybe that's you. Maybe that was me at some point where we, we thought of him as an it, as a force, as an energy, but not as a person. But we don't get that from Jesus. Yes, he says he's like the wind, but he explains him more like a person. I want you to follow along with me in your own Bible. It's going to be on the screen, but I want you to see this in your own. Uh, John chapter 14. Here in John, think of where we are in the Gospel of John. We're near the end of Jesus' life. He knows the time is coming where he's going to leave them, but he doesn't want them to be left alone. So this is the context that he tells them about this coming Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I want to encourage you in your Bible just to circle the word another. Because that's one of those words that we might just read right over because that word will help us to see the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Father will give you another and he's referencing the coming Holy Spirit. Now there are two words that Jesus, two Greek words that Jesus could have used that is translated another in, in the Greek language. One is heteros. You're familiar with that phrase heteros that that prefix Heteros means another of a different kind, like heterogeneous. It talks about the different kinds, okay? But that's not the word Jesus used here. He used alos. That phrase, that word means another of the same kind. 
Now, he could have used either, but he used another, meaning another of the same kind. Jesus was essentially saying that God will send another as the same kind as me. Another helper. Or if we could see this through the lens of Trinity, Jesus is saying the Father is going to send me in spirit form. Think of it like this. We're all familiar with identical twins. When we moved here several years ago, there were three sets of identical twins in this church. Now, we've all seen identical twins. There are three sets of identical twin boys that were part of this church. And people laughed and said, yeah, there's something in the water. Better be careful. And see, and I thought, better not be, you know. But it was so interesting because we just saw them and, you know, we learned their names, but you know what I'm talking about. They, they look alike and their mannerisms are the same. And sometimes if they dress the same, you can't tell which one is which. Now, two of those sets of twins have grown up and they've moved away. But the two that have moved away were the same year as my son, Jake. And, and they'd be over at the house and he was their close buddy. And so he could tell them apart, but they could be sitting in our kitchen and we, we didn't know which one was which. Jake knew, but we didn't know. Now, the Carey boys, Hunter and Jackson, they're still a part of this church. Some of you know them, and you just, I still struggle to know which one is which, especially if you just see one and not the other. But their parents know. And now they're married. Their wives know. They better know. We know what it is about identical twins. They look alike, even if they don't dress alike, but they look alike. And sometimes just the way they stand or the way they walk and, and the way they talk, and they just they look so much alike. There must be something in the water here because now Barrett and Jenna are expecting identical twin boys. Isn't that great? We're going to get to celebrate with them. Now, one commentary said this, Jesus doesn't say the Holy Spirit is my identical twin. He's coming. That's not what he's saying here. It's stronger than that. He's exactly like me. That's what that word another means. Look at the screen, what he said next, verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. So to know God is to know Jesus, is to know the Holy Spirit. They are three, and they are one. This is what Scripture teaches us from beginning to end. See, it's easy for us to see Jesus as a person because he was born, and he died, and he had skin, and he talked. And we have a record of all that he did as he walked among us. We know what he did. We know what he said. So we see him as a person. He was one of us. And that was part of the divine plan so we could see God in that way. And when we understand the Holy Spirit as a person who is another of the same kind, or to put it in our words, just like him. That's what he was trying to explain here. Now, we would never think of Jesus as an it. True? Not at all. But we may tend to think of the Holy Spirit as a what rather than a who. But Jesus referred to him as a person. Now, this may be especially true for those of you who grew up reading the King's English. And he was called the Holy Ghost. Because that sure didn't help. 
But Holy Spirit is a better way to translate who he is. But there seems to be a struggle with the thinking of it as an it rather than a he. We think of this mysterious force rather than a helpful friend. This is the challenge. This is the issue. And unless we get this cleared up, it's going to be very difficult for us to ever have the right understanding about who the Holy Spirit is and His role in our lives. Now, typically when we study the Holy Spirit, as I was thinking about how to do this, this is where I went first. And I had to back up and go, wait a minute, because what we study first is what the Holy Spirit does for us and through us and in us. And hopefully we'll, we'll get there, but I want to back up here and make sure we understand who He is. I want us to study in the coming weeks what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But today, in the time we've got left, I want to consider some examples of how we relate to the Holy Spirit. Because if we can understand what the Bible says about how we relate to the Spirit, I think we will see Him as a person, the way Jesus talked about Him. And I believe that's going to help us to have the kind of relationship that God desires for us to have. So I'm going to share just a couple of examples, not all of them. We don't have time to go all of them. Maybe we'll get to these more in their study, but just a few, just to get us to thinking about this. First, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. When I think of lying to someone, I think of lying to a person, somebody with ears, somebody that can hear that, somebody who's going to be affected by me lying. And that's how we relate to him. That's what it's saying here. He can be lied to. Acts chapter 5. You, you know where I'm going. Ananias and Sapphira made a big contribution and a big mistake. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, we see the church coming together. And they're trying to take care of one another's needs. And so they were selling properties and, and donating that to the church. That's so what Ananias and Sapphira, this husband and wife, they, they sold the property. But then they lied about how much they sold it for. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter confronts them. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, Peter goes on to explain, look, the issue isn't that you didn't give it all the money. That's not it. The issue is that it was your field. It was your property. You do what you wanted to, but you lied about it. And then in verse 4, he says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. I want you to notice here how Peter uses Holy Spirit and God interchangeably. In one verse you're lying to the Holy Spirit, the next verse you're lying to God. But he said the same thing. They are the same person. He's helping to see the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. He's helping to see the Holy Spirit is a person. But you read this story, at least I do, and I get the sense that Ananias and Sapphira had no idea they were lying to the Holy Spirit. Is that the way you read it? I think if you were to ask them, did you know that you were lying to the Holy Spirit? I didn't know that. I didn't know I was lying to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we sold the property, and, and yeah, we wanted people to be impressed, and so yeah, we kind of misrepresented the truth. We wanted people to think we were being generous or maybe more spiritual than we really are, but, but we never meant to lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter said, that's what you did. That's exactly what you did. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, one commentary explained it like this. One of the ways we lie to the Holy Spirit is by pretending to be more spiritually, more spiritual than we really are. 
One of the ways we lie to the Holy Spirit is pretending to be more spiritual than we really are. That's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, right? And I read that and I thought, wow. So in any of us, any hypocrisy, any pretending, any effort to impress others spiritually, to make others think we've got it together, that we believe, that we're being generous, that we're sacrificing, whatever it is, turns out that's deeply offensive to the Holy Spirit. That's lying to the Holy Spirit. She came to worship on Sunday. And you've seen the words in the song. That you go home in anger and you curse to those people living in your home. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're not just sinning against the person in your home. You're sinning against the person in you. That's what he's saying. We take communion every Sunday and celebrate God's grace through Jesus. But if we still hang on to bitterness, if we can't forgive the one who's wronged us, we're lying. Now we say we're going to pray for someone, but we don't mean it. We act like we're generous or sacrificial, but we're not really sacrificing much. Maybe, men, you tell a brother in Christ that, you know, you're doing well. You're walking with the Lord. You, you, you're there. And, and yet there's pornography on your screen. You're out like your loving and thoughtful husband, but you ignore your wife at home. Ladies, you go to a ladies' Bible study and you talk about your awesome marriage and you're ignoring the needs of your husband at home. Or maybe you berate him. Teens, you open your Bible app on your phone. And then quickly move on to something else. Pretending, giving the impression that you're more spiritual. These are all several ways that we pretend to be better, more spiritual than we really are. Jim Elliott, late missionary, points, this, uh, points out the accusation that Peter makes against Ananias and Sapphira. is that they said... They were surrendering. That's what they were trying to communicate. They were surrendering. And when he was writing this, that's when the churches were singing, uh, I surrender all. You remember that song? I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Jim wrote, they're lying. Because there are areas of their lives that they've not even tried to surrender. Relationships, entertainment choices, financial decisions. They're not even trying to surrender. And the way he puts it is kind of strong, but let me read his words. Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. Ouch. Is that true about you? What I want to drive home is this understanding that we are lying to someone. We're not sinning against a rule. We're lying to a person the Holy Spirit, to God living in you. Which brings me to the next example. The Bible also teaches the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The New Living Translation says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now we're going to talk more about grieving the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks. But does that resonate with you? When I understand that the way I live can bring sadness, can bring grief to God's Holy Spirit, well, that, that helps me to understand Him more personally. 
helps me to understand the relationship dynamic that sometimes is easily overlooked. We talk about God, we talk about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit living in me is bothered by some of the choices I make when I'm not walking in the Spirit. Because you can't offend someone if that someone is not a person. Last week, my grass needed mowing, which is only partially true. Actually, my leaves needed picking up. Leaves are just falling night and day. It's just like, so I need to, to gather all the leaves. So it was wet in the weekend, and, and Monday night, I couldn't get to it. So Tuesday, the rain was coming. Remember, the rain came this week. And so Tuesday, I thought, I'm going to go home at lunch. And I'm just going to skip lunch, and I'm going to get on my lawnmower, and I'm going to quickly just, just scoop up all the leaves before the rain comes later that day. So that's what I did. I ran home, skipped lunch, got on the lawnmower, made one round, and it died. And then the rain started. Remember how the rain came about lunchtime on Tuesday? That was me sitting on the lawnmower. I was so frustrated. I was trying to beat the rain, and my lawnmower would not cooperate. Now... In that moment, I could have yelled and griped at my lawnmower. I could have cussed at it. I could have pushed it off into the creek and said, be gone. But the lawnmower wouldn't have heard me or cared. Because it's an it. It's an it. It's a thing. But the Holy Spirit spoken of here is someone who has feelings and emotions and concern. I think you get this. I, 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 no, I think we all get this. The more you know someone, the more you love someone, the more opportunity, the more power they have to hurt you because they're closer to you. You know, relationally, you're more invested in them. And so the more you know them, the more you love them, the more you care about them. And some of you understand this because maybe you had people that you know and love and care about, they may have hurt you the most, caused you the most grief, caused you the most sadness, their actions, even if it wasn't to you or about you, but it's because you love them so, and you know they're making a wrong choice, it just grieves you. Now, if you don't know them, if you don't care about them, well then their choices don't really affect you that way. So we understand the Holy Spirit is grieved and saddened. Understand, that means how well He knows you. When your choices grieve Him or sadness, how much He loves you. And He wants what's best for you. And He cares for you. It speaks to the relationship. Maybe you had a moment like this in your teenage years. One man recalled the time he came home much later than curfew. Supposed to be in at midnight, came in at 2. Wasn't the first time he broke the rules. All the lights were out. So he just thought, I'm going to just quietly go in and sneak to bed, and maybe mom and dad won't know. And he opened the door into a dark room, and standing right there was his dad. It was one of those tense moments. Here it comes. I'm about to get berated. I'm not 15 minutes late. I'm two hours late. I mean, I'm, I'm more than breaking the rules. I'm stomping on them. So that tense moment... He said, as he explained it, he said, he wasn't angry. It was worse. He said, my dad was disappointed. And my dad looked at me and said, I'm glad 
you got home safe and turned around and went to bed. The man said, I was never late again. Because we've all been through times and situations where we know the rules and we don't like the rules, we don't care for the rules, and so we ignore the rules, don't we? We've all done that. Wet paint, do not enter. I mean, that, that's for other people. We, we all do that. But it's one thing to break some rules. It's another to break a heart. And that's where we need to understand the Holy Spirit as a person. Maybe you had a similar experience in your walk with the Lord. Where your own carnal, immature desires, selfish minds, you want to make your own rules and do your own thing. But once you understand the personal nature of the Holy Spirit, when you finally see this incredible gift of God choosing to live inside of you, then you appreciate the benefit and the joy and the wisdom of walking in the Spirit that the Bible talks about. You know and appreciate the difference between breaking a rule and breaking the heart. You're not trying to see how close you can get to the line. You're trying to see how close you can stay to the rabbi. He's the one you're following. It changes things when you see the Holy Spirit as a person. This brings me to one more, at least for now. Another example. The Holy Spirit can be your friend. Again, we're going to study this more in the coming weeks. When Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit to his disciples, again, look at John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word helper here is capitalized. If you want another, what's another name for the Holy Spirit? Helper is one. Some versions translate that as advocate or comforter or counselor or friend or crying baby. Can I just say that? Because that's what you're all thinking. But we love our crying babies because that means young families are here with us. Hang on, we're almost finished. Notice what Jesus says here. The Father will send you another helper what word would you put in there could you put friend not force not energy but friend i want to end the way we began when peter was talking to those people on the day of pentecost sharing about who jesus really is a lot of confusion about him in that day. A lot of confusion about him today. And they ask, what must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why every Sunday we conclude the message with an opportunity for you to accept this amazing gift. Not only do you have salvation, not only is your sins washed away, but God promises another helper just like him. In fact, it is him. And he'll live with you forever. If you're ready to confess Jesus Christ, have your sins washed away in baptism, this song is to encourage you. Or if we can pray for you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?